Hey, this is John Orberg, and we're walking together through the journey of Advent, learning to live with a posture, an attitude, a spirit of radical acceptance. And that really is rooted in Advent. Advent is a time that we're not just looking forward to Christmas. We think about when God came to us in the person of Jesus. We also, in particular, think about when He will come back again so that our posture of acceptance is rooted not just in psychological self-management, but in hope, in the promise that God is the one that's going to set things right, not us. And that's why I can live with a yes to God, with a yes of acceptance to other people towards suffering in my life, towards my own emotions, towards my own unwanted circumstances. I can say yes to them all because I believe God is at work and will one day redeem. And even in the midst of that, Jesus comes to me and to you. Let earth receive your king and every heart prepare him room. And that's what we do. And I have two words for you today in this little step of Advent. And those words are grace and truth. You might remember at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, it says the word became flesh. That is the eternal God, the creator, the reason behind all that is took on a human body a human form, a human life, human, became one of us. And we beheld His glory. When He became like us, He did not give up His glory. We actually saw His glory, His willingness to serve, His willingness to come in weakness. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten, the unique expression of the Father. Who else? What other kind of God would do something like this? And then John says, full of grace and truth. And now those are the two words precisely that we need. And Jesus is not just marked by them. He is full of them. He could contain no more. Grace and truth. There's a writer of a book that's all about radical acceptance that says that in order to live with a posture of radical acceptance towards life, with a kind of peace and freedom and ease that comes with that orientation, two dynamics are required. Two needs must be met. And the first one is, I must live with a full, deep awareness of reality. I cannot live with a posture of radical acceptance unless I'm honest about what it is that needs to be accepted. And one of the great difficulties is I push away from that. I try to deny reality. I don't want to look at it. And so when I fail back when I was a grad student, I forget all about that failure until many, many years later, my advisor reminds me. Remember when you got a really bad review for this? When I fail in my work, I don't want to hear about it. I push back about it. I go into defensive posture. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to think about it when I fail as a dad, when I fail as a husband, I want to uh, be able to imagine that it wasn't my fault, that it was something else. And so in order to fully accept something, I actually have to be willing to look at the reality of it and take it in fully, not defend, not deny, not embellish, not exaggerate, not minimize, not justify. I must want to see reality as it is. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing not only for us as individuals, but for whole societies. Our nation right now is struggling with uh, discovering what is the truth about ourselves. How do we ever know? And there have been a couple of very high-profile trials, one in Kenosha, Wisconsin, 
the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, and then another one, the trial of the killers of Ahmaud Arbery. And as a country, as we try to look at, will there ever be justice? There's all of the intricate details of an individual case, but those are all embedded in this much larger swirl, this search for justice and this situation where decade after decade, just decade after decade, creating a society where a little baby is born and has the same opportunities regardless of its skin color, where a baby will not be born, and if it is African-American, be more likely to be under-resourced, undernourished, undereducated. We have such a hard time doing that. Will we ever get to truth? Will we ever get to justice? There's a wonderful passage in a book called Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, where the narrator is living in a world where there are all these ambiguities. What's the truth about me and about the people around me? And will justice ever come? And does anybody even know what it would look like? And then there's a couple of paragraphs in here that say this. The author is, uh, finds herself reading Agatha Christie books. And she says, the reason why I'm so drawn to them is in Agatha Christie's universe, everyone eventually gets what they deserve. Inheritance or penury, love or loss, a blow to the hat or the hangman's noose. In the pages of Agatha Christie's books, men and women, whatever their ages, whatever their caste, are ultimately brought face to face with a destiny that suits them. That's truth. That's reality. That's justice. Perrault and Marple are not really central characters in a traditional sense. They are simply the agencies of an intricate moral equilibrium that was established by the primary mover at the dawn of time. And that, of course, would be God. For the most part, in the course of our daily lives, we abide the abundant evidence that no such universal justice exists. Like a cart horse, we plod along the cobblestones, dragging our master's wares, with our heads down and our blinders in place, waiting patiently for the next cube of sugar. But there are certain times when chance suddenly provides the justice that Agatha Christie promises. We look around at the characters cast in our lives, our heiresses and gardeners, our vicars and nannies, our late arriving guests who are not exactly what they seem, and discover that before the end of the weekend, all assembled will get their just desserts. It is a striking thing. A Christian mystery writer in our time, P.D. James, has talked about how often people who write mysteries in the crime genre are disproportionately Christian. Uh, Dostoyevsky in Crime and Punishment we've talked about before. G.K. Chesson with his Father Brown mysteries. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, Lord Peter Whimsey mysteries. John Grisham says that his most important uh, event in life was coming to faith in Jesus Christ, taught Sunday school at a Baptist church. Uh, we believe that because God became flesh, that justice, truth, reality will one day prevail. But then one last sentence in this little passage. But when we do so, we rarely remember to count ourselves among their company. We look around and discover that before the end of the weekend, all assembles will get their just desserts, but we rarely remember to count ourselves. And we also are going to receive justice. And that's why the other word is grace. Jesus is full of truth, reality. Justice will come. But justice alone can be a terrifying thing if it is not accompanied with grace. Mercy, compassion, favor, goodwill. And Jesus is full of them. 
And it is because of it is because he is the one who is full of grace and truth that he lives in utter, utter freedom and is able to be present in love for people. And that's what I want to work on today. That's what I want to invite you to work on today. In any situation, bring the courage to face reality. What is it I'm thinking, feeling? What's going on in that other person? What is my circumstance? In a spirit of grace, I am loved by God. Now, when you do this, what happens is you are free from the need to impress or get the approval of other people, but you are free to give them love. And the psychological word for this is then you're differentiated. That is to be a fully mature, functional individual, no longer enmeshed, no longer caught up with, vulnerable to the contagions of toxic emotions, anxiety, fear, sin. And we see this above all in Jesus. So when he's on a boat, there's a storm going on. Everybody in the boat is terrified. They're convinced they're all going to die. Remember what Jesus is doing? He's taking a nap. By the way, he brings what is classically called a non-anxious presence. little acronym, N-A-P, nap. It's the ability to take a nap when everybody's going crazy. That wonderful old poem by Kipling called If. If you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. He is the wholly differentiated person. We see this in the very beginning. First time that we see him when he's 12 years old. His parents can't find him. They're desperate. They're frantic. They're anxious. His mom tracks him down in the temple where he's talking with the religious leaders. How could you do this to your dad and I? He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't apologize. Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? His awareness of his identity and his vocation are extraordinary. And he doesn't detach. He goes back home. He obeys his parents. We see this over and over again in his life. When he's with a leper where nobody else would touch this person, he reaches out at risk of great stigma to himself. When he's in the temple and everybody else would be likely to conform, but he sees the way that the poor are being exploited by the temple tax system, he gets out a whip and drives the money changers away. That's the act of a deeply differentiated person. And then when he's on the cross, and we would expect him to be furious there and hostile, wait till my father gets a hold of you. On the cross, he expresses unprecedented compassion. Father, forgive them. They don't know. Steve Cuss wrote a wonderful book, uh, Managing Leadership Anxiety told me recently that according to secular systems thinkers, Jesus of Nazareth is the most fully differentiated human being that ever lived. And that's just true. And now because Jesus was incarnated, you can be differentiated. That is a sentence you're not likely to see anyplace else this Advent, but it's true. You don't have to be enmeshed. You don't have to caught up, be caught up in other people's anxieties or please anybody. We can be free. So today, carry these two words, grace and truth. From one moment to the next, God, help me to see the truth. What's going on around me? What's going on inside me? My anxiety, my anger, my fear, my resentment, my boredom. And then instead of beating myself up for that and rejecting myself or condemning other people, God, let me live in grace. May the Jesus who came to Bethlehem, who is coming again, come to me today.
come to you today full of grace and truth. May the one who was incarnated make you differentiated. I'll see you next time. Hey, we're so glad you're here. More than a video to watch, we hope this is a community you can engage with. So add your voice to the comments. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram, or join our Facebook group, becomenew.me. We'll be posting daily questions and resources for you to engage with. And if you want real-time text alerts, you can text the word become to the number 56525. So take a step, get connected, and we'll see you next time.